so if you would please open up the book of Exodus there, uh, chapter 7, and we're going to be picking back up where we left off last week with verse 14 is where we'll be picking back up here, uh, Exodus chapter 7, verse 14. Now, <laughs> um, first of all, there's just, in our lives, as we go through the Old Testament here, just know that it applies to our lives today. Just always remember that. The Old Testament doesn't mean it's for them in the past. God uses his word to reemphasize what, it's the same story, the same love story that God has for us from the very beginning, from book to the, the beginning of time of, the, of, uh, of uh, Genesis to Revelation. And as we go through here, we're going to see that he puts an emphasis on many times on leadership or on positions as a, a leader, as a, a parenting or uh, a, a boss, a position within a job, whatever it may be. But today we're going to continue our story with a couple of leaders there, Moses and Aaron, and also Pharaoh, who was over the most powerful country at that nation of that time. Now, if you remember, as we continued in the first part of the first seven uh, chapters, that God's chosen leader, Moses, and his brother Aaron, who became a spokesperson because Moses wasn't willing to be fully on faith and trusting what God said he could do through his life, so he had to come in and bring his brother Aaron in for his support to be a spokesperson. But God's still speaking through Moses, and Moses has to now speak to Aaron, and now Aaron has to go and talk to Pharaoh together. It's, it, it wasn't the way it originally designed, right? But that's what had to happen because he wasn't willing to be obedient to God and fully. But we see that they were sending Moses as a leader of the, of the nation of Israel for God to bring his people out of Egypt to take them to the promised land. And we saw back there in Exodus chapter 4, verses 21 through 23, where Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh to say, you need to let my, the Lord's people go, and we want to take them into a three days journey into the desert to worship God, with no intention to return it. But Pharaoh said that something's not jiggy here, and wasn't going to let them go, because his heart was hardened toward the fact that there would be a God more powerful than him. Or the gods that he worshipped, there would be another god that he, uh, would be over his, their gods. And we see here, as we look at this, they went to Pharaoh, and they, the king of Egypt, or Pharaoh, went uh, even with the warnings that God told Moses to tell him, absolutely would not heed the voice of those warnings. Now, again, as we go through this, warnings come to us as leaders. As people, God always warns us before there's judgment or before there is something that's going to happen. There is always a warning before that happens. So we can never say, I, I wish I would have had a warning. <laughs> no, there was always warnings. You just didn't heed those warnings. You weren't listening for the warnings. You were stuck in your ways. We call it hard-heartedness, and we will see that through the lives of Pharaoh today. But we see here that he would not listen to the warnings that God was given to Moses through his brother Aaron to, as a spokesperson to tell him God is going to bring judgment on the land of Egypt on this because they believed in a false belief system. They believed in false gods. They were not listening. They were not obeying, uh, heeding the voice of God. And there was going to be judgments that's going to come happen. 
But if men are not willing to obey God's words of warnings that do come, then God must clearly speak to you and I through his works of judgment to bring about a change in a person. When God speaks, people will either obey and submit their hearts to God, or they will disobey and harden their hearts. And we see that a warning in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 15, made very clear. I'll, I'll give you the verse 15 of Hebrews 3. It says, While it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. We also see in Psalm 95, verses 7 and 8, it says, For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. So what does this mean to you and I practically? It means if God speaks to us and tells us to do something, we are to be obedient regardless of how we feel. And if you rebel, that means if you say no to what God's saying, then you're a rebellious person. I'll give you an example. I love examples because God's family is a perfect example. Mom tells children, children, you must go do this. And the children will say, la, 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 wah, 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 and doesn't listen to mom. Doesn't hear her voice tell the kids what to do. And they continue to do what they want to do. What are they? They're becoming rebellious, right? Because they're not heeding the voice of their mother giving them instructions to do something. And what happens is, is after warning, after warning, after warning, what's going to happen? There's going to be correction. <laughs> There's going to be judgment. There's going to, Dad is going to be coming home. Or mom is going to correct it herself. But there's going to be correction to the rebellion nature or rebellious nature of that child. And as a child, you can understand that as they grow, they learn to what? They learn to obey the voice of mom and dad, right? Well, as a child of God, we must learn to obey the voice of our father. And there's correction and there's, there's patience and there's long-suffering and there's mercies and there's grace. And God's going to, at times, after warnings come to you and I, can bring about judgment when we're hard-hardened and we're truly rebellious and we're not willing to change, even though God has revealed it to us by his word that we must change. Are you with me? You tracking? So watch this as we go through this. Because we saw, we see in, saw in, in verse 13 last week of chapter 7, that Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed Moses' and Aaron's voice. And as the Lord Jehovah had said, Pharaoh resisted God's will, and this hardened his own heart. And we can see that warnings come, and the warnings will come in the form of ten plagues. From my perspective, there are really nine plagues, and the tenth one is really the final brings death. It brings a final judgment. But we call them the ten plagues. But watch this as it, we'll see the patterns, and I'll add to it as we get through this. We're only going to take the first three plagues today, and, but it sets a pattern for the remaining of the, of the two chapters that we are going to cover. 
But Exodus chapter 7, verse 14 says, again, here comes a warning from, from God through Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh. And he says, so the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water, and you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. And the rod which was turned to a serpent, you shall take it in your hand. Stop right there. Remember, in the previously, the shepherd's uh, rod that Moses had and Aaron has. Remember, they, they threw down, they, they throw it down, they threw it down, down on the floor, and it turned into what? A serpent. Remember how the magicians came in and said, look at us, we can do the same thing. And the demonic forces allowed them to throw all of their rods down. But Aaron's rod was what? was a different, rod, a different type of serpent. It was large enough, I believe it was like a cobra, right? Because in, in, in Egypt, one of their gods has a cobra head as, as a symbol of the, one of their gods. That big old serpent that had turned from uh, Aaron's rod ate all of their other serpents up ate all the other rods up, devoured their little gods that, that demonic forces that came against them. God is more powerful than Satan. God is more powerful than, than the demons. Those, they don't have any comparison to our God. So we don't have to fear Satan, fear demons or nothing because our God is all powerful. Amen? So here he's saying, go throw your ser that, uh, that rod down, the one you turned in the serpent, that same there. It's in your hand. Go there and lay it right there in front of Pharaoh again. Verse 16, and you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you. So he didn't, and I wanted to emphasize this. Notice, I want you to go and talk to Pharaoh and tell him who sent you. There's power in his name. See, many times we want to go share the gospel with someone in our family or friends, or our neighbors, or a complete stranger. And you will say these things, but you never tell them whose name you represent, who, who you're the ambassador of. So there's no power in it. When you communicate the truth to someone, make sure people know that this is the truth of God. This is not your opinion. This is not my opinion. I'm reading the word. This is not my opinion. This is God's opinion. And at all that matters. I mean nothing. It's all matters what he thinks. Are you with me? So you never leave here and say, oh, the pastor. No, no. What does the word of God say? I want you walking out and telling people what the word of God says. Amen? And so he says here, now when you do this, you're going to tell him that the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you saying, let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. Oh, stop right there again. I'm telling you, this is a great verse. These did I tell you, Exodus is my favorite book. I'm telling you, because there's so many treasures in these little moments here, because so many times you notice here, it's, are you telling me that we've already read, they've already spoke, Moses and Aaron already spoke to Pharaoh. Why is he saying here that God says, you have not heard? Because that happens, doesn't it? Your children do the same thing. You talking to your children, and they're like, la, la, la. They're just, they don't hear you at all. They may hear something or they may listen to that you're doing something, but they really are not hearing you. That's why you have to make sure they hear you. Not just, it's just not noise. It's not just a distraction. They must be able to hear you. We must hear God. That's why 
He says to be still and know that I am what? God. We need to be still. Why? Because we want to hear God and his still small voice speak to us by his word. Amen? That's why it's so important to find your quiet space. I know, I know that's not easy, moms raising kids. I got that. But ask God to help you. He'll give you those moments of time. And so what happens? He, God says, to Moses, tell Pharaoh, you're not hearing me. Thus, verse 17, thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Oh, I'm going to make it very clear to you that I am the Lord. I am in control here. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod, that it is my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die, and the river shall stink. And the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. So he's giving them a warning about a plague or judgment that's coming upon Pharaoh and the people. And he says, and he gives an insight, telling Moses to tell Pharaoh, this is what it's going to look like. The water is going to turn to blood. And the fish are going to die in this Nile River that you cherish and you worship so much. And it's going to stink. Because there's going to be dead carcass fish everywhere. And if you've ever been around a fishing place, you understand a little sense of how nauseating that can be. But notice what happens here. God in his mercy is giving Pharaoh a warning. He's warning him. A chance, an opportunity to repent and to change and to, to ask for forgiveness. But no, we find out he will disregard this warning that God is giving to them to be able to change. And Pharaoh is going to sin against Israel because he sins against the word of God. Watch what happens next. Verse 19, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your rod, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their streams, over their rivers, over their ponds, and, and to grandmother's house we go, no, no, it's not like that. Over the ponds and, and over the, all their pools of water that they may become blood, and there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets, in wood, and pitchers of stone. Hold right there. Notice that this plague is going to affect who? Everybody in the nation, both Egyptians and the Israelites. Everyone is affected by this first plague. The water that they can see, it doesn't matter if it's in the, it's in the Nile River, if it's in the pond, or if it's in the stream, or even in the wooden buckets that they got water from, or the the stoned out troughs that they put water in for the animal. Doesn't matter if you could see the water, it was turned into what? Blood. This wasn't an illusion. This wasn't just uh, a, 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 a symbolism. This is reality and this is fact that this has taken place and will be taking place. So God has given a warning to Pharaoh. Now he's asking Moses with the help of Aaron and the rod to touch the water, and all of it's going to turn to blood. Notice verse 20, and Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters there that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh, in the sight of his servants, and all the waters were in the river were turned to blood. 
Verse 21, the fish that were in the river died and the river stank. I was almost going to call this message today, it stank or it stinks. But it, 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 this is only one plague. The rest of them don't have any stinking moment. But this one is a pretty stinky thing. But it stank. That really, that, you know when you get to the word stank, it stank. It was nauseating kind of stank. And so what happens, that is exactly what took place here. And the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Now let me give you some more details here on these plagues. We're going to see three sets of three plagues, total of nine, and they have the same pattern. We're going to see a warning, call to repentance, Judgment happens. We're just seeing this, right? God warned, you need to let my people go. You need to repent. You need to let them go. And if you don't, judgment's going to happen. In this case, the first plague is what? Water turned to blood. We're going to see in this sets of three, a warning, a warning, and the third plague, he does not give a warning. Judgment just comes. And it happens for all three sets of three of the plagues. So notice, in the very first one, these plagues are going to bring tremendous difficulty on all the land. And it's going to be very distressful through the, the, the first judgment, which is water to blood. And the second one is with the frogs that will invade and lice that will cover everything. Those things will bring such distress on these people, such turmoil. It's going to, it's going to be bad, right? The second set of three are going to be very painful and very costly when judgment comes to in the forms of flies, death of the livestock, and boils on their bodies. And the third set of three is going to bring about dangerous and destructive judgments through the hail, through the locusts, and darkness. And then finally, that tenth one will bring death which is the death of the very firstborn, and it will happen at that Passover time. That's why I believe the study, as you look at it, these ten plagues happen over a nine-month period of time. So it wasn't like blood turned, water turned to blood. That was day one. Day two, we go to the next one. Day three, we go to the next No, over a nine-month period, and it will result in a complete destruction of the worship the economy and ecosystem of the Egyptian land. And we'll watch how this all plays out as we go through these things. But here we see that, you know, you'll listen to people teach sometimes or some commentators, and they said, oh, these, these, these plagues are really just naturalistic explanations. They just naturally happen, and they weren't really happen. They're just a symbolism and all these things. But let me make it very clear to you what I believe and what you will notice as you study the Word of God, that this is really happened. This is reality. This is not symbolism. This is not just some uh, symbolism or some natural thing. Even if it is natural, water's natural, turn to blood. Frogs are natural. They came a lot of frogs. Lice, lice is natural, right? But they became a lot of uh, uh, lice. Goes on and on and on, right? But the fact is, he's taken these things and done super, God did supernatural things to bring about the judgment through these natural things onto the people that need to be judged. Are you with me? 
So as we go through this, track along with this, because if you understand this pattern and you read the scriptures, these are not symbols, they're not illusions, this is facts, this is reality. And why is that important? I'll make this as a side note that's coming, bringing back to memory here, is in the book of Revelation, when you see the judgments and the bowls and the trumpets and stuff, those are not symbolisms. These, these plagues that come during the book of Revelation at the end times, they're not illusions, they're not symbolism. Those are real plagues that will happen in the end times. There'll be pestilence that will be beyond our understanding. We are getting a glimpse of that in one virus that's spreading around the world today, aren't we? It's unsolvable, it's not treatable, and it's just causing tremendous destruction. That is a sampling because in the end times we see millions will die from pestilence in the end times. It's going to be, we won't be here because we'll be, as his bride, as believers, we'll be raptured out of here. We will not have to go through those difficult times of, the, of, the, of uh, tribulation. Praise the Lord, right? Now, why is this all so important? Why is these plagues coming? Because God is going to answer the question that Pharaoh said in the very beginning in chapter 5, verse 2. What is this? What did he say? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? God is going to answer that question. Because these plagues are going to be so mighty and so powerful and so easy, very specifically directed, that it, he will no doubt that this is God Almighty himself that is speaking, who's more powerful. And also one more thing. Not only is he will reveal himself how mighty and powerful he is to a powerful man named Pharaoh, but don't forget, each of these plagues, methodically and very well planned out, take out each of the deities that the Egyptians worshipped in their false belief system. He takes away their idols by overcoming each of them. Watch this. Because, because of the Nile, is so worshipped by the Egyptians. They had three gods that were revolved around just the Nile itself. The first one was the false god, the river god called Osiris. Osiris. He turned this water into blood. Where's their god to stop that? Nowhere. The second god that they had was a god of Kanum, which was the guardian of the Nile. He took over and, and they believe controlled the territory. Where is he? He had no power over the territory. God Almighty changed the water into blood. And the third God that they believed protected and saved them and provided for them was a God of Hapi, which was the spirit of the Nile, which was also brought very low to non-existence through this plague that God brought upon the Nile. Why? Because the Nile was the main resource of all of Egypt. It was this water that brought the source of life to them. It was there that brought the, 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 the way they worshipped. They worshipped there at the, with the Nile, the water of the Nile. They, they actually had their entire economy was based upon the Nile. Why? Because that was the life source of water. That's what did the crops. That's what gave them life with the drinking the water in the middle of a desert. And it's also the whole entire ecosystem was based upon if they had water or no water. So right by this very first, very first um, plague, it went right to the heart of their worship, the heart of their economy, and the heart of their livelihood, of their existence. 
And God says, do I have your attention yet? <laughs> do I have your attention yet? Why is that important? Because so many times in our lives, we think something is so important. It's our life source. My job, if I, my job is everything. I spend every blinking moment thinking about my job because that's my life source. Be very careful. Be very careful that you've put that job as your God because God, I assure you, will send you warnings your way to remind you that job is, you have is because he's giving you that job. He's using that job to provide for you. It cannot be a God for you because that, that job can be taken away that quickly. Are you with me? Are you tracking? So whatever it is, the Lord's speaking in your heart, make sure you keep that in perspective because that life source only can come from God. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life, period. So what, verse 22, then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. Ah, here comes the, the, the Pharaoh's uh, right-hand man. The thugs are coming in. They're called magicians. And they come in with their enchantments, their, their prayers, their, their dances, their, their, their potions and, and spells and whatever they do to bring, and bring up the power of Satan, demonic forces to get them to give them power to do something. And what are they, what are they doing the enchantments for? It says right here, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. So the magicians came in and did so with their enchantments. What did they did so? They turned more water into blood. Now, make a note here. All the magicians could do and all Satan could do through these magicians was take additional good water and turn it into blood to make it, more wor to make it worse. To make it worse. That's all they could do. How did they do that? Well, look at the, verse 23. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river of, for water to drink because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. So they come into the rescue. They say Pharaoh must have said, hey, figure this out, solve this problem. This is not good. Magicians you know, do their enchantments. They prove that they can take water and move it into blood as well. They're making the matters just worse. And that, but that enhanced or encouraged Pharaoh to stick to his guns and not be willing to change. Now let me warn this. Let me application for you today. If you have someone in your life that is, has something that's causing a destruction, drug, alcohol, pornography, whatever something, pride, whatever it may be, especially as a warning to parents to children, when you as a parent see something of a sinful nature in your child and dad is trying to address the issue that this is not right, this has got to go, let that sin go. But you, mom, come in for the rescue because you seem like dad's being too, too aggressive. Be very careful. Because what you'll do is it might embolden those kids not to make change and walk away from sin. 
It's called enabling, right? But my son, I, I love my son. He, I, he, I'll give him more money for the drugs. I'll, I'll help him get more drugs or I'll help him get more alcohol. He, he's, he's trying. He's really working hard. Be very careful if you're enabling someone to continue to be in their sin when God says they've got to let it go. Are you with me? Again, I'm warning you. God is going to have his way on that person's life. Let them, let God work in and through. So what happens is the magicians bolded the Pharaoh and he didn't even address it. He didn't even talk. He just walked away and went back to his house like it didn't even happen. But it, he cannot escape it. The blood, the water is blood for seven days at least. We see in verse 25, seven days have passed since the Lord had struck the, the water uh, with blood. That's a long time where you can't have water to drink. They had to go dig more water up, and, and then when they found it, they turned into more blood and drank the water as before they did that. I mean, it's insanity what will happen to prove your fault system of religion. It happens. You can come along with someone you love and say, what you're believing is bringing destruction. You're being misled. That false, that false religion, how you're worshiping here and you believe this and you believe that is literally leading you down to destruction. It's not helpful for you. Those are just religious practices. And then someone will scoop right in and grandma and grandfather says, we've always been this religion our whole life. Your friends will come along. Well, you were born this religion. And it will embolden you to stay in this false religious system versus listening to what God is trying to say to you through this word and say you must walk away from that false teaching and come to the truth. Come to Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. No religious system. No good deeds but by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so what happens here? Seven days have passed. This is all going on. You would think, okay, Pharaoh's heart's growing. Um, it just grew harder. And then we see in, in chapter 8, verse 1, and the Lord spoke to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go. Behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, into your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come up on you and your people and on all your servants." Warning number two has come. Warning Pharaoh, you've got to let my people go. You need to repent. Let him let them go, and this will not happen. But if you don't do it, it will happen. These plagues is going to end in a very terrible, terrible result if you continue to go down a path of disobedience and rebellion. 
And he's going to use these series of plagues to glorify God, to show how mighty and how great he is. And he's going to, again, conquer each of their false gods that they were following. Now, the god here dealing with frogs is the god, the Egyptian goddess called Higet. Higet. H-E-K-E-T. Higet. And this beautiful goddess had a female body with a frog head. That's what they worshipped. That's who they worshipped. Frogs were illegal to kill. They were sacred. These were special. So God says, oh, is that your God you follow? That goddess of Agat? Sense of humor of God, right? I'm going to fill the place up with them. And he over-indated with their God of frogs to a point where he drove those frogs right into their beds, into the place where they eat. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever had a frog, what do you have when you pick up a frog and the first thing that that frog does to you? And that frog is everywhere. Nasty. But that's what you wanted. You wanted that God. So God says, you want that God? I'll give you the fill of that God. Now what does it taste like? How does that sin to you now? You want the sin? I'll give you all the sin. How does that make you feel now? See, what happens is God is going to sit there and he's going to bring about this, this amphibian goddess that they worship and say, this is no Gouda, but I'll give you your fill of it. So you can come to a point where it will, you'll want to get rid of it. Now notice what happens. Verse 5, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land covered the land of Egypt, and the, look at what happens, verse 7, here comes those little guys, the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs on the land uh, of Egypt. Now, again, here comes the Egyptians, we can help you boss, we can help you, and Satan gave them enough power to turn more into more frogs. Now, that's not helpful. <laughs> the, last thing, the last thing that Pharaoh wanted is more frogs. Why? Because the Egyptians were known to be very clean. They were very prestigious. They didn't, they, they, frogs were nasty. They, they caused contamination. They caused all kinds of problems in their, in their space. But that's what sin does. It always brings destruction and contamination into one's life. But that's who they worshipped. They worshipped the frogs. And they could not kill them. So here they are getting it in their beds. They're getting into their kneading bowls. They're getting in their space. And they couldn't kill them. Because it was illegal. Now what do you do? What do you do if you're Pharaoh? Well look what happens in verse 8. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron. <laughs> Get Moses and Aaron into this place. We've got to figure out what's going on. And he says... Entreat the Lord. It means intercede for me with the Lord. That's what that means. I need you to go to the Lord for me because this is not good. Entreat the Lord 
that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go. Whoa! Did he just say that? And I will let the people go, that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Oh, it's finally working, right? It means he's showing some signs of repentance here. He, he said he's, he's going to do this, right? The pressure is there on him. The stench is there. The nastiness in his life is all around him. He's finally going to repent and say, I'll let the people go to go worship your Lord. But what happens in verse 9? Moses said to Pharaoh, Accept the honor of saying, When I shall intercede for you, for your servants and for your people, to destroy the frogs from you in your houses, that they may remain in the river only. I love this. He's, he's, re he's repeating back to what he heard Pharaoh say. But one thing he adds in verse 10, notice this. So he said, tomorrow? So he's sitting there, Moses saying, wait, let me get this straight, Pharaoh. You want me to go to, to the Lord and ask him to get rid of the frogs out of everywhere so it's not bothering you, your servants, or any of the people of this land. And when do you want me to do this? Because you haven't said it. When do you want me to do this? And he says to Moses, tomorrow. Why did he say tomorrow? Why would, if I was him, I would say right now. Talk to him right now. I'm not leaving until you talk to God and your Lord and tell him to get rid of these frogs right now. I want those frogs to start leaping away from me and going back into the water so I never have to see the frog again. But he tells Moses, talk to the Lord and ask him to do it tomorrow. Now I pondered on that all week. And I believe what he was doing, he was like, now I know the situation is really bad and I know the sin is real bad and I know this is what's going on in my life right now and this is not good. This, I'm getting, ooh, this warning and this judgment is really bad in my life because of the decisions I've made. I know I said no multiple times now to let your people go and now the sin and the pressure and the destruction is happening in my life here but I'll wait one more day and maybe everything will go back the way it was. Just one more day. Maybe everything will subside and I don't have to let them go. I don't have to make that decision. I won't give up the drug one more day because maybe I can get control over it tomorrow. Maybe I can get control over that sin tomorrow. Maybe things will go back to normal if I just wait one more day. Now, I don't have to give up my sin or don't give up my pride. Everything. Let, me, let me give you a very sad, actually. In the ministry, it's not easy to be in the ministry. You've heard me say that. I've, I've lost count how many times in the ministry I would have men come to and knock on my door absolutely weeping and crying. And sometimes they would literally be curled up in agony on the floor of my office begging me to somehow save their marriage because they screwed up big time. And their wife said, enough is enough. I'm done. I'm done. You've given me empty promises, and now it's done. You, you've crossed the line. I want a divorce. 
And men will beg, I will give my life to the Lord. I, will, I, I want God in my life. I, I, I want just something to change. Just take this pain away. Take this situation away. Take this circumstance away. Take whatever it is that's pain and suffering to me. I want it to go away. Can you just make sure my family's, I don't lose my children, I don't lose my wife, I don't lose this, I don't lose my job, I don't lose whatever it is that they're curled up in the floor crying and weeping. And I've seen it over and over and over and over again. So what happens? Sometimes the Egyptians come in and do their little hokey pokey and turn themselves around and do their little dance. And sometimes that will work temporarily to overcome the situation at hand because the occult, demonic forces will come in and, and assist. But notice what happens here when Pharaoh says, I need you to intercede. I need you to, I, I want you to go to the Lord and, and he may take the frogs away from me and from my people and I will let the people go and that they may sacrifice the Lord. And Moses says there, yeah, sure. You want me to go to the Lord? You want me to intercede for you? And you want me to go there and tell him to take the frogs away because it's just such destructions coming and you want me to do it tomorrow? And look at here at the end of verse 10. And he said, let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. I'm going to do it, Pharaoh, exactly. Tomorrow I will do it, and you will see God move in a mighty way in your life, and he's going to do exactly what was just said. And what happens in verse 11? And the frogs shall depart from you and from your houses and from your servants and from your people, and they shall remain in the river only. Verse 12, and then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses and the frogs died out of the houses and out of the courtyards and out of the fields. They gathered them together in heaps and the land stank. It's stinking still because that's what sin does, it stinks. It makes your life stink. And don't think that sin in your life, no one notices sin in your life because you will, people will get and see eventually the stink that will come from your life. It's only a matter of time. But notice what happens. Verse 15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was what? Relief. He hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. Once he felt the release of the relief of the judgment or the pressure of his rebellious, sinful nature, he did not repent and change. And that is exactly what happens to many men who are on the floor, curled up, begging to keep their families, their children, their wives. They don't have true repentance. They just want relief from the pain of loss, not the pain of understanding that they're a sinful, wicked sinner that needs to be saved. Do you know the difference? If you don't, 
you need to learn this difference today. You must repent and understand that even by God's mercy, he may keep your family together. He may keep you to have your children. You might keep your job. You might keep your health, whatever it is. But your relationship with God is based on his grace, upon his mercy. And you lay it all at his feet and allow his will to be done. Don't get the relief and then harden your heart and continue your sinful ways. That is not what God has for you. But for Pharaoh, he chose to, after that relief to harden his heart and did not repent and heed the voice of God and change. We must change. So what happens? Out of his emotion, he, Pharaoh got out of his pain, his frustration, his, his possible loss, his emptiness, and everything else possible, but there was just empty promises to let his people go. And because of this, what is the definition of a hardened heart? It, is, it means to see clear evidence of the hand or the finger of God speaking and revealing himself in that situation to you. And you see that finger, the hand of God work, and you still refuse to accept his word and submit to his will. That is a definition of hardened heart. And I'm telling you as a parent, as you're sitting there trying to correct and to raise your children up, to teach them how to live and to be obedient to your instruction, to your, the, the law of mom, that this is what you need to do and this is how you need to do it. And you're trying to tr raise them up to learn as they mature. But there's got to be consequences and, and correction if they're not being obedient and not doing the will of what you need them to do. Because if not, their heart will become hardened towards you. And unfortunately, we see many children today that have hard hearts toward their parents because they weren't raised according to the ways of the Lord. You must take, my brothers and sisters, please take heed. Because we're seeing it play out in adulthood life, but it starts even in a child's heart early on. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And so many times I've heard children as I minister to them, who is my parents that I should obey them? They ask me to do this, but they don't do that. They tell me not to, to, to do drugs and drink, but they do it. They tell me not to lie, but they do it. They tell me not to get angry, but they do it. They tell me to be faithful, but they don't do it. They tell me to be on time. They're never on time. They say to be loving, but they're never loving. The hypocrisy. They don't even know the name, but they can explain it to you. My brothers and sisters, we must be willing to change. And we must hear and heed the voice of God when he gives his gentle touch on you of warning 
We must change, Corey. You gotta change. I must hear that voice and be immediate obedience. We must. Or the heart will get hardened. And not only will your heart get hardened toward God, but notice the scripture, his heart will grow hard toward the people of God. You know why I know people, people are not going to church today or avoiding fellowship today? Because when they're in a situation their lives are not willing to change, they grow hard toward the things of God. So you don't want to hear, you don't want to hear the word of God because that just brings conviction to you. And you just don't like that feeling. <laughs> you hate it. But also, your heart grows hard toward the people of God. And you can't handle being around the fellowship. That is a warning to you and I. When we don't want to be in the fellowship, there's something not right in your life. Seek the Lord on that. And then we continue now. Woo! That was heavy. Let's go to the next one. Chapter 8, verse 16. And we're going to see the third plague. We've seen the water turn to blood. We've seen the frogs come have their happy day. They got their fill. Now look what happens with lice. And notice there is no warning given to them. Judgment just comes that quick. He says, so the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your rods and strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth and it became lice on men and now beasts, noticed. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. A plague, a judgment came without warning. Some will say, how could this have happened? Why would those lice come, lice come on our lives and our animals' lives? You didn't heed the other warnings. You got two other warnings here. Why would he give you another warning? He's already given you two. Three strikes, you're out, right? That's why we have to fall our lives on the feet of Jesus and ask for forgiveness and rely upon his grace as a child of God. And this plague struck him at the heart of the Egyptian worship. Why? Because the Egyptian priesthood was extremely careful for hygiene and ritual cleansing and, and cannot have any infestation of lice on their bodies or the animals and anything that they worship. And it's all been contaminated. They couldn't worship at all. That God is shut down. Absolutely shut down because of the lice. And these, remember, lice, lice has two different types of lice. And the ones that bite and constantly bite on you. Can you imagine the suffering? In verse 18, now the magicians, here they come. Here's the little guy. Here we're coming in for the rescue. And what happens? So they worked it. They worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice. Again, why would they want more lice? I have no idea. But they are coming in their own ways, and we're going to, we're going to work it. And you can see it, right? That's the first time you see those words. Before, you never saw it. They worked it. They just 
just did their enchantments and it happened. Now it's not happening. And they're working it. They must be dancing more. They must be yelling louder. They must be rolling on the floor by now. They're doing whatever they can to muscle up the demonic forces. And what happens? But they could not. So they were lice. So there were lice on men and beasts. They could not even produce more lice. They could not duplicate what God had done before. And what happens? Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the only smart thing they did, they turned to him and said, this is the finger of God. This is the finger of God on this situation. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them just as the Lord had said. Sad, isn't it? Even his trusted musicians, uh, uh, musicians, ooh, that was a, Flip. Magicians. <laughs> Edit. <laughs> um, these magicians, these wise men, these people he, he trusted and he called upon, who kind of came in and kind of came to his rescue, couldn't rescue him and prove that their gods were as powerful. And they turned and said, Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. He has got his finger on the belly button of the situation, and you better take notice. And he wouldn't even listen to the people around him. Very bad. When your heart gets so hard, you're not even listening to the one that's closest to you around you. Another sign of a hard heart. When you will not listen to your spouse or will not listen to trusted brothers or sisters that God has brought in your life. Be very careful. Satan's power is limited. Our God is more powerful than Satan will ever have and ever will be. God is showing to him, yes, this happened with the water, and yes, this happened with the frogs, but let me show you how limited your, your worshiping of your false gods going to bring you, and I'm going to limit you. And when we see the rest of the plagues, you're going to see God bringing to light how powerful he is and how small their gods are. It reminds me of Psalm 8.3, the finger of God, the power and the authority and how great our God's power and authority is of who we honor and serve. But Psalm 8.3 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, when you sit there and you just ponder on the creation around you, do you see the fingers of God creating around you and see how powerful our God is? He reveals himself through his creations. Did you know that? Just sit back and watch the magnitude of his creation around you and know that our God is all-powerful and all-present. God wasn't, isn't through the, with the warnings of Pharaoh. We are going to see seven more warnings, seven more plagues that are going to come upon this man before he gets to the point where he'll do exactly what God said. He will drive the people of Israel out of the land and say, get out of here. Take you and your barbecue and you gotta, gotta go. And we'll see 
that when this happens and all of these plagues, these judgments come upon, the nation of Israel will be bankrupt. The sooner we get rid of the sin, the sooner you get rid of the pride, the sooner you get rid of whatever it is that's causing stank in your life, the sooner it will be because if you don't, it will bring total destruction and bankruptcy in your life. And you do not want that to happen. Amen? You want to repent. You want to come to God and just lay it all at his feet. As a child of God, you've been saved. You've been forgiven of all your sins. But don't let that trickle or drift back in or go back to the sin. You must lay it at his feet. But if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day of salvation for you. You must be forgiven of your sins. You must repent. You must acknowledge you're a sinner. And you know, with, deep within, you just know you must put your faith into Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, who paid for the penalty of that sin on the cross means you trust or you put your faith in Jesus and even though you don't fully understand it, you take a step of faith and do it anyway. And say, God, I'm a, I'm a wicked sinner. I need to be saved. Save me from my sins. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Take over. Be Lord. I want to follow your ways from now on. If you will do that with an earnest heart, a true heart between you and him, He'll come into your life and he'll forgive you and wash away all of your sins, past, present, and even future. And you will have the peace with God. Right now, if you don't have Jesus in your life, the Holy Spirit living within you, you do not have peace with God. You don't have the peace of God. And you must. He's calling you today. Watch out. Warnings come. Repent and obey.